my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. So I have a special treat for you this week. Um, This week, we're talking about avoidance. Um, love avoidance, intimacy avoidance, um, avoidance, attachment styles. And we're digging into ways that those of us who have that attachment style or disposition can make our lives better, make our relationships better. And these are all relationships, not just romantic. Um, Because those of us who struggle with avoidant attachment styles and ways of seeing the world and interacting, all of our relationships are affected because of the walls we put up because of the false intimacy, because of the mass, um, because of our avoidance techniques and distancing from people and leaving before it gets too close. Um, So I'm going to give you three ways that you can um, implement some changes now today. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Attention to all my proud plant parents. It is time to give all of your plant babies the best nutrition you can starting from the bottom up. And that starts with the best soil to help them grow happy, nourished, and strong. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that is approved for organic growing and has been sourced from ocean waters and farms for over 28 years. With a full range of products to support every garden and lawn, Coast of Maine products are made to restore roots to the natural world. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, by adding Cosamain products, it will help regenerate the healthy microbes on your soil and set you up for gardening success. And if you have a vegetable garden, not only do you benefit via an abundant harvest, but find that there is less need to maintain and feed throughout your season. Cosamain continually perfects the art and science of sourcing, mixing, and composting products worthy of the people and place that aspired their brand and the healthier world it was built to serve. Cosamain believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. The products are carried by tons of local retail partners who can provide advice and insight that is not found in the big box stores. Costa Maine knows from beginner to expert, anyone who takes a hand to the land has something to offer the growing community for gardeners everywhere, which is why I love how they make organic gardening simple and approachable for everyone. So let's get growing. Visit CostaMaine.com to find a local retailer near you. Coast of Maine, like the state with an E.com. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. So you've heard me share about my journey with vitamin D and how a deficiency was causing havoc in my life, causing depression that was not helped by therapy, emotional support skills, and other resources that I had access to because the source was organic and coming from inside my body. And it was only by healing my body with vitamin D supplements that I actually saw change. And I'm not alone with me being part of the 82% of black women in America who struggle with the vitamin D deficiency due to our melanin not being able to synthesize as much vitamin D from the sun. But Black Girl Vitamins is a proud black owned brand that develops vitamins to address the specific needs of black women like iron and vitamin D deficiency. Each purchase contributes to a scholarship fund that supports black women pursuing healthcare education. Plus they're vegan friendly and free Free from harmful additives. Try Black Girl Vitamins to see improved health in areas such as energy, fertility, and pregnancy support, balancing your blood sugar, and more. Get 10% off your first order with the code HEAL10 at blackgirlvitamins.co. That's B-L-A-C-K-G-I-R-L-V-I-T-A-M-I-N-S dot co and use promo code HEAL10 to get $10 off. Take control of your health and level up your summer with Black Girl Vitamins. It's time to make this summer your healthiest one yet. 
But before we start, the special treat is um, I was thinking about how I was going to do this episode. And I was thinking, should I recap what avoidance is by itself? And then I realized one of the most popular episodes that I had um, back when I was doing Love Junkie was the love avoidance um, um, episodes. And um, it was split into two parts. So the first half was like 30 or 40 minutes about what is love avoidance? How does it look in our relationships? And it was just really great and it was really deep. And I had a guest interview with Lisa Palak, who is an awesome therapist in California. And she works at the Center for Healthy Sex um, in Los Angeles. Um, and they do special um, intensives and things. And um, she was kind enough to be on the podcast and she did an amazing job. And so it was two parts. The first part was like an introduction about what this looks like in our relationships. Um, how does it look like to be a couple? Um, if one person is a love addict and the other one is a love avoidant, um, is recovery possible? Um, the answer is yes. Um, and then the second half was all about the things that you can do. And so I was thinking, let's just pull from those episodes since they were the most popular. And I'm gonna let someone who is an expert tell you herself. And so the beginning part of this um, podcast is going to be with Lisa introducing herself, telling us about um, what it may look like in our relationships. Now, I know that I've talked about it before um, in other podcast episodes. I know that um, I've kind of had different sprinklings of what the interaction cycles for us looks like. However, when I was re-listening to it to think about which parts to keep because there was a lot of information, there are a lot of gems that I've not mentioned yet about what what it may look like in our relationship. So I really encourage you to take a listen and to not fast forward um, until you hear my voice again, giving you those three tips. And also, you know, even if it's not new information per se, what I have learned is that sometimes we need to hear and learn about things multiple times for it to sink in. You know, there's a difference between something going to our head than to our heart, which is why sometimes we can struggle with changing our lives and changing and healing, even though we can tell someone, this is what I know I'm supposed to do. And this is what I know I'm supposed to think about myself, or this is what I know I'm supposed to feel, but it's the farthest thing from what is actually true for you. You get what I'm saying? And so that's why sometimes we need the repetition for it to sink in and to take root. So without further ado, we're going to jump into the intro. Um, Lisa, like I said, will introduce herself. And then you are going to hear me um, come on and talk about the three things that you can do. Before we do that, though, <laughs> I have a little something special going on. So... Some of you may know about something called a cross addiction. And what a cross addiction is, is whenever we can interchange different activities and behaviors or substances um, within each other um, to help us self-soothe um, and self-medicate. And so sometimes the classic cross addictions are things that we hear about like hard drugs or pills, you know, cocaine, weed, alcohol, cigarettes, um, ecstasy, um, all those things. And so people will go back and forth between different substances to get their high, to kind of chill out with one, pick up another one. Um, and so that's kind of the classic way that we can talk about cross addictions. But you can also use other activities or behaviors and things um, to also self-soothe and self-medicate. And if you feel like it is impacting your functioning, that you're struggling with your impulses, the ability to say no to it, that is taking over and impacting your life in a negative way, and you still continue to use and um, do it to excess in spite of the consequences, you could consider that an addiction. And so um, different types of things that people, um, when it comes to intimacy disorders, may call addictions or um, food, and so this is not, I'm not talking about eating disorders per se, even though for some people they do have an eating disorder in the actual um, classic definition of the word, like bulimia or anorexia, um, but it could also be problematic eating. Um, so stress eating, emotional eating, shopping, overdebting, gambling, zoning out through internet devices, um, internet and devices and screens, sex. You know, whatever your, your makeup is, um, 
it is different for everyone who um, feels like they may ascribe to what I'm to what I'm saying right now. However, the reason why this is a, um, a special announcement before we get into the episode is when it comes to the women that I help through our signature program, Learn to Thrive, um, and also through in my private practice where I help women with love addiction and also as a coach, there are three things that I tend to see women interchange the most often. And so women will go between using relationships and love or sometimes sex, um, sex to get love or sex as a form of power and control. They may use food and or they may use money. And so Learn to Thrive already takes care of the relationships and um, all of that. But when it comes to money, this is the one that I feel like so many people or that many of us, we kind of don't know that there are more steps that we can take. And so thank God there is more and more financial literature and information out there for us to get our money right. Um, and they're all over Instagram as well. You know, they're very accessible for those of us who like that platform. So I'm thinking of people like the Budgetista. Um, Journey to Launch, My Fab Finance, Hey Berna, like there's there's so many women um, and women of color out there killing it, helping us get our money right and teaching us um, information about budgets and credit and um, you know all of those things. However, for some of us, it does not matter how good our budget is, um, how many promises we make to ourselves. The fact that we have no money in the bank, we are still going to buy the shoes. We're still going to um, sign up for um, this trip. We're still going to go without the things that we need because we're afraid of losing the money. And that's because our mindsets and our emotions around money are wrapped up in old wounds, right? So the same, same kind of concept of our relationships are affected based on old wounds that have happened in the past, the stories that we've learned about what relationships mean, about what friendship means, about what love means, impacts us as adults unless we unlearn it. The same thing happens with money. And so with money, it's not always, sometimes it is, but it's not always just a logic and a mind issue. It's not always just about self-control and willpower Sometimes it's about the underlying pain that's underneath us making these impulsive decisions or us going into avoidant behaviors um, and aversion behaviors with money that we need to heal. And so avoidant behaviors with money would be like money hoarding. And so no matter how much money we get, we never feel safe and satisfied. Um, and so this is more than just, it can be this, but it's more than just, you know, you're constantly climbing the ladder, trying to get a certain um, income amount, but it's never enough to help you feel safe. It could also just be that you are working a, um, maybe even a minimum wage job. You have a huge amount of money in your bank account. Um, but you're kind of living in deprivation and you're living way below your means because you're afraid of using money on things that are actually important. And so maybe you'll be wearing clothes that don't fit you anymore or, um, going without turning on your lights, even though you have plenty of money for your light bill, but you don't want it to be too high. And um, basically you're not taking care of yourself because of this fear around money. Some of us have aversion to, to having money and wealth. And so as soon as we get money, it goes right out of our hands, you know? So either we might give it away or we may spend it or whatever, we may lose it, whatever it may be, but there's something in us, an unsaid belief that we are not good enough to have the money or it's wrong for us to have it. Some of us are codependent givers. And so it's not even that we spend money on ourselves, but if there's someone around us that needs something, we are the first ones to offer it or we can't say no. And so we find ourselves giving tens or hundreds or thousands of dollars to people who maybe they appreciate it, maybe they don't, but either way, um, it affects us financially, um, that we are constantly trying to save and rescue other people. And we lack boundaries. And anytime we try to say no to them or to ourselves, we're filled with shame and we're filled with guilt. So with all of that said, because I know that this is the same 
issue and kind of the same mechanism as what happens with our relationships. I am creating a spending and debting money rehab course um, to help us overcome this. This is going to be separate from Learn to Thrive. It's going to use um, pretty much the same method um, that I teach there um, with some variations as I kind of like tried and tested it out on my own. Um, but I'm taking a beta class of women who would be interested in testing out this program for me and with me. Um, you would get private coaching. Everyone would get um, their own private one-on-one -on -one sessions with me as well um, because I really want to make sure that one, that this actually works. <laughs> and then also too, that um, that is the best that it can be. And so to be able to get as much feedback as possible. So um, any woman who's listening right now who has been having persistent money issues over your lifetime, you have tried everything that you know how to do to work through it and somehow you still keep getting in the way. Maybe you have been struggling with some shame around it. So like, why can't I just do this the right way? Um, I make too much money to be broke kind of thing. Um, you know, all, all those thoughts, all those feelings, I would love for you to join me in the program. The program will not be free um, because, you know, you need to invest in yourself and um, you are going to be getting some really good support and information. However, it will be affordable as well as this is the beta launch. Um, and then um, depending on the feedback and all that, um, it will be released again um, next year, sometime next year. So, um, if you are interested in joining the waitlist, I would love for you to um, sign up um, by going to the link in the show notes. You can also go to blackgirlsheal.org slash money rehab and um, sign up there and you'll get information and when the doors open to, um, to sign up. So, that is that. Hopefully, that is of interest to the Black Girls Here Heal community. If it is not an interest, then we won't do the course, which is perfectly fine. Um, and we'll stick with the focus on relationships only. But seeing how this is so common and literally when a woman that I work with um, will break up, she will tell me how her money is looking funny, <laughs> you know, or, you know, she'll spend all this time over focusing on getting her finances right. And then when she gets in a relationship, it it goes sideways um, or just the woman is constantly living in deprivation and doesn't really take care of herself, um, doesn't know how to take care of herself. She knows that just she knows that there's something off, but she can't really figure out what it is. That's what this is about. It's about getting our hearts right, our minds right, so that all of our financial plans about investments, about budgets, about retirement, about being millionaires, whatever your goal is, um, that you will achieve it. And also that you will feel the freedom to dream because some of us listening do not have any dreams around money because we feel like that's bad. And so let's get healed in that area as well. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. All right, so we are here for another episode of Love Junkie, and I am so excited to have Lisa Palak with us today. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Sheena. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we are talking about love avoidance, which I know is a much requested topic. Um, a lot of people wondering what it might look like for them and how they mm -hmm. um, can break free. And so I'm excited to have you come and talk about it. And so, but before we get started, I was wondering if you can introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So uh, my name is Lisa Palak. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist based in Los Angeles, California. Um, my specialty is sexuality and sex therapy, intimacy, relationships, um, and also love addiction. I have a private practice in West LA, and I'm also a clinician at the Center for Healthy Sex, where I developed the three-day women's love addiction workshop. Um, I have one coming up this weekend, in fact. Um, I'm also a facilitator of a women's intimacy group that happens every Thursday evening. Um, 
And I have been doing this work for about 30 years. I've been a sex educator and working on really all aspects of sexuality for many years, um, encouraging people to really experience their sexual potential in a variety of ways. Great. You are the perfect person. <laughs> Let's go ahead and just jump right in. So what is love avoidance and how might it be different than love addiction? Well, I think that love avoidance historically has been a subcategory of love addiction. Um, people who recognize that they have unhealthy relationship patterns um, often think, am I a love addict? Because that's the popular term. I think it's become much more visible in today's culture. There's a lot of, you know, writing about and even television shows talking about love addiction. Um, so people feel like they can't connect. They're not having healthy relationships. They usually suspect love addiction, but they feel like I'm not really the clingy, needy person. I'm the person who tends to back away or often feels like a better than, or has trouble getting into relationships. Um, so I would say love avoidant is part of a continuum of unhealthy relationship dynamics, where you might have love addiction on one end, love avoidant on the other end. Um, I think it's been given short shrift in a lot of the literature and books, um, and even therapeutic interventions, particularly for women, I think traditionally love avoidance has fallen along gender lines. So typically in our culture, we tend to view men as the ones who are emotionally unavailable, right? That's the other kind of catchphrase for love avoidance. Um, and women as being clingy, needy, love addicted, um, always chasing after the emotionally unavailable partner. But clearly, you know, that's not true, um, and that any person of any gender um, can feel avoidant and certainly can move from more clingy, needy, wanting to be um, addicted to someone else, and then sliding back along that scale of pulling away, fear of being engulfed, wanting to back off, putting up a wall, avoidant often in the same relationship. So I think we need to look at love addiction and love avoidance really as, a, as somewhat of a sliding scale, not so much two halves of a coin, but really there's a lot of gray area in between and people really slide back and forth, I think, between those two poles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, a question I often get is, can someone be a love avoidant and a love addict? And basically what you're saying is, yes, there's a lot of overlap. And they, like you said, they're two sides of the same coin. They work together. Exactly. So, and people, many people tend to have traits of both. I would say the three defining traits of love avoidance are that they, um, evade intimacy in, the, in any relationship, primarily a romantic relationship, by creating a lot of in, intensity outside of it. So these are people who tend to be very busy, driven, successful, busy with school, busy with work, um, often have a lot of interest outside of the a relationship, a romantic relationship. That's what really fuels them. So I would say that's one of the main characteristics of love avoidance. And then the second one would be that they don't, they avoid being known in the relationship. There's lots of details about themselves that they don't share, um, things they, you know, this is often, this is unconscious, right? They may think that they're um, sharing things about themselves, but there's uh, often some walls up. Um, and they also use a lot of distancing techniques to avoid intimate contact with their partners. And that would be the third thing. So, and, and these are, three characteristics that, you know, Pia Melody in her book, Facing Love Addiction, where she has a section on love avoidance. These are the three main things that she has identified and I also find to be true in, in working with women who um, initially come in for love addiction or some kind of intimacy problem or, you know, they're just not getting the love that they want only to find out, oh, aha, love avoidance, that really sticks with me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so hard because these are the messages that we're taught um, to live by what it means to have a successful life, you know? So we're praised, mm-hmm. you know, when we're able to be ambitious and, you know, go getter and a leader and have all these friends and all these activities, right? And so we mm-hmm. think we're healthy when really we're creating so much um, blockage to being able to be available to someone. Um, and and mm-hmm. it's, and it's, it's confusing, you know, how much is too much and when do I pull back and when does it mean that I'm actually giving away part of myself to be in a relationship? How do I know the, the balance? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that's always been tricky, particularly for women, you know, there's that motto of, oh, I can have it all um, as a woman because of, you know, the history of we, we raise the children, right? We bear the children. That's mm-hmm. biological part of being female. And so it's really difficult to balance, um, it, you know, the needs of children, the needs of relationship with being an independent modern woman, of course. I think when it comes to love avoidance, though, we need to look at um, going back to our own family and family of origin, because you, as you know, Sheena, this is where it all starts. Um, and so for, for, for women and people who have traits of love avoidance, um, if they look back into their own families, they'll often feel that as children, they were parentified. They felt really drained by the relationship. They felt that the parent often looked to them, right, as what we might call higher power in program language. Um, parent really looking to the child, the nurtured, taken care of, um, parent needs the child in, in an unhealthy way because healthy bonding, right, is the parent is really there for the child. The parent is really organized around the child's needs. And instead, um, with people who as adults find themselves um, avoiding intimacy, it's often because they were just completely enmeshed as a child. They didn't know where they stopped and their parent began Mm. and it felt yucky and they felt suffocated and they want to back away from that. You know, they feel like, um, yeah, you know, children who were enmeshed and engulfed and really controlled by other people often find themselves ending up in avoidant um, relationships. They find themselves being the avoidant one. They want to back away from that. And it's a double bind because love avoidance, see, there's also the love part. They also are longing to be in connection with mm-hmm. someone else. Unlike some people who just um, maybe don't, can't relate to other people, um, want to be alone, uh, are introverted, and, or maybe have some other kind of psychiatric condition where they just don't want to connect. That's not true of love avoidance. Love avoidance want to be in relationship and they long for connection, but they're so afraid of being lost uh, Mm -hmm. in that relationship and ultimately abandoned that -hmm. they want to do it in a very protected way so that they can control that. Um, Mm -hmm. So they long for long for intimacy, but are also underneath it all just terrified of being abandoned because that's what happened. You know, when they had to care for a parent or be the smart one or make the decisions or kind of be the boss of the family in some way, they lost themselves and their needs weren't met and their child self was really abandoned. So that's the deep pain for love avoidance is this uh, don't leave me. And so maybe I'll leave you first in order to Mm -hmm. protect myself. But every time I do that, I don't get the love I want. And so... That hurts so much as well. So that's the cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I'm listening to you, I'm um, I'm tapping into my inner avoidant and just kind of checking to see what she can relate to, that part of me. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. how when I'm like deep in that, some of the stuff that you that you shared it is so true, but it because my walls are mm-hmm. so up. I don't really connect to it. So that, that fear of being abandoned, like the go-to thought for an mm-hmm. avoidance is actually, actually, I don't really need anybody. And I'm the gift mm. that, that better than like that I'm in control. And, you know, it's, 
it's so insidious. And so I don't know if you can talk a little bit about that, like what that, that better than and that like um, independent spirit, like what that might feel like for folks. Right. Well, Tina, you just brought up an excellent point that um, avoidance often have walls up instead of healthy boundaries. So a healthy boundary would be like, I can see what you're saying and here's how I feel. And maybe there's a more awareness of how, of what I'm really doing and how I'm really feeling, what my thoughts, my actions, my emotions are. And when we have walls up, it, 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 it's a form of denial. We don't, we don't know what we don't know. So mm -hmm. we might feel exactly like, well, I don't need anybody and I don't see the problem and I am angry and I am a really calm person. <laughs> uh, you know, you could alternate between those two things, right? I have all like, a, I'm always pleasant. Nothing ever rattles me or just like people never get it right. And I'm always irritated with them. You know, mm -hmm. there's a, there's a spectrum there that people can go back and forth between. So it shows up in different ways because we're all really unique, right? Unique as a fingerprint. So even though there's a template for love of we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. As our country continues to grow and make new meaning of the intersection between current and historical events, it is so important to stay connected to the voices and the leaders who are influencing what progress, connection, equality, and truth mean to us as Black people. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection from some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Avoidance. You know, when people are listening to this podcast, you have to remember it's just a template. And for every single person, there's going to be a unique display of how avoidance shows up in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think that's exactly what you said. Um, on one level, I feel the whole sadness and despair around not being in a relationship. And yet at other times, I can feel like I don't really need anybody. So that's the way for people to identify, oh, maybe there's something happening outside of my awareness. Another way to put it would be unconsciously that I've built these walls that I don't let people in. I just think, well, this is just the way I am. And when you get into doing some personal work or therapy around this, you can realize, aha, that's a wall. So wall can show up as giving people the silent treatment not really talking very much. A wall can show up as a wall of words. I'm always talking. I never stop talking. It's a way for me to not let people know who I am. When mm. someone asks me about myself, I want to say, hey, I'm good. How about you? And I deflect the conversation. It's all about them mm. and what's going on for them. That's mm. another way that's kind of a kind of a flashing yellow light that maybe you have a, a wall up and maybe you're um, experiencing some uh, avoidance in this relationship. Ladies, I am so excited to share that for this podcast episode, I've partnered with eHarmony, the dating app that helps people find real genuine connection. And for me, this app has absolutely held true to their promise, connecting me to a truly incredible relationship and partnership with someone who truly gets me. 
Dating apps can be so hard when it comes to filtering through persons who you may not have anything in common with or who may not be super serious about the process and committed. With eHarmony's one-of-a-kind compatibility quiz, you get a baseline standard in every match of your compatibility around values, communication styles, likes and dislikes, energy levels, and so much more. My experience with eHarmony has always been superb with not only the quality of men I was matched with, but also with our compatibility when dating, eliminating the stress of feeling as if I was wasting my time. So join the dating app that helps users find their most authentic relationships. eHarmony, get who gets you and start free today. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Is that, is that helpful? Oh, that is so helpful. That's so great. And especially that last part about that kind of like um, turning the question back around on other people being a sign of avoidance. Mm -hmm. I think about Mm -hmm. um, the caretakers and those of us who are codependent and enablers Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. um, it's so easy to focus on other people. And so when it comes Mm -hmm. to love addiction and love avoidance, there's a lot of confusion because it's like, well, I'm always taking care of people and I'm so open and I'm so like available, but it's, it's, um, you're not being vulnerable with yourself. Like the attention is always on other people and taking care of them and no one actually gets to know you because you're the martyr, because, you know, you're the mom of the group of whatever, or whatever it mm-hmm. might be. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, avoidance can also, can often take that victim position, as can love addicts, right? I mean, anyone can really take that position for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons. Um, I would say that, you know, taking care of needy people is, again, a classic trait of love avoidance, that taking care of needy people makes me feel good about myself. That's how I feel worthy because, again, often unconsciously, uh, I'm not good enough, right? I'm not really worth loving. I feel this concept of this belief, I'll call it, right? This core belief of I'm just not good enough um, shows up in people struggling with um, unhealthy relationship patterns. And I would say in general, it's probably the number one core belief that shows up for people who come to therapy, whether they're struggling with addiction, depression, anxiety, relationship issues, that core belief of, I'm just not worth anything, shows up over and over again. Um, And even for love avoidance, who on the outside may appear very super independent, often very educated, smart, driven, successful, um, on the inside, often feel like, what, how come I can never make relationships work? What's mm-hmm. wrong with me? How am I broken? Never good enough. And that feeling of, um, I never get what I need, uh, is very familiar to them. Um, you know, Kelly McDaniel, in her book, Ready to Heal, say for love avoidance, their core belief is that loss is inevitable. No matter what I do, right? People are going to abandon me in some way. I'm never going to get what I need. Um, And so they often find themselves in relationships where, again, unconsciously, they're repeating that pattern. Mm. Because unconsciously, we often pick people. And some people would say we always pick people. Um, where unconsciously we're just going to repeat old relationship patterns in it because it feels familiar, because we want to try to get a different outcome, because that's where our brains are wired, you know, for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. So, and it's so true. Um, are there any other ways, I know we've talked about a lot, but are there any other ways that love avoidance might show up in ways that we don't expect? Hmm. Well, I would say these are the ways that, these are sort of the uh, flashing signs, the, the, the yellow lights, right? Um, to, that signal to me that someone might be struggling with avoidance, level of avoidance. Um, and I work primarily with women, although I do also work with men, but um, women are, make up the bulk of my practice. So I would say that women who tend to pick fixer-uppers, Mm. I met this person 
and um, I can really see their potential, right? But they have to do this, this, and that, and then I'm going to be happy. They might say on some level, you know, on some level, this person is not their equal. They don't make enough money. They're not smart enough. Maybe on some level, they're kind of a loser. They don't have it together. Um, but there's something about it that's also that there's an intensity there. And that could be that maybe their sexual chemistry is good or they find this person physically attractive or they're funny. You know, there's something that happens there to kind of connect, right? There has to be some level of connection. But I think love avoidance tend to um, pick fixer-uppers. I think that's a marker. I think very quickly love avoidance will go into being highly critical of their partner, picking that person apart, noticing their flaws really questioning whether or not they should be in this relationship. A lot of times this is often really very visceral too. It's something that they really feel in their body. They might mm -hmm. feel a physical, almost like repulsion about this person. Like I can't stand to be around this person. They're driving me crazy. Um, mm -hmm. And yet when that person starts to move a little too far away, there's an internal panic. And like, I have to bring this person back. And that's the like, don't leave me piece of it like I don't want to be too close to you but I also don't want you to go mm -hmm. that's the that's the double bind um I would say that the other thing about love avoidance is that they often come on really strong mm -hmm. so in the beginning love avoidance right while they're seeking that intensity they are seeking that connection so they might come on really strong in terms of oh let's see you know they might have a really um, fancy job, they might have a lot of money, they might, you know, take you on some fancy trip, you know, they might do some things to really wow and seduce you and really suck you in at the beginning of the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, that's often a, but then as the relationship progresses, that might start to fade. Um, and then it might lead to arguments, getting critical, um, backing away, getting really busy with other things. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, when you're saying that example, I think more of um, kind of stereotypical male, female, heterosexual relationship. Does it look differently if it's the woman um, who's the avoidant in the relationship? Does the seduction look the same as far as like the, you know, taking them away on trips and all that other stuff? Oh, absolutely. I think it can be any sort of relationship. I mean, I absolutely don't want to portray this in a heteronormative kind of way. Mm -hmm. I've seen it in, you know, um, same-sex couples. I've seen it in opposite-sex couples. You know, however people identify in terms of along, you know, sexual and gender lines, this dynamic can still be at play because we have to look at going back to the family. How did this person learn to be in relationships? Mm -hmm. Did they learn that relationships felt safe and secure and I got my needs met? No. People who struggle with unhealthy relationship dynamics, whether they identify as love avoidant, love addicted, codependent, uh, to me it doesn't really matter, those labels. I think they're useful for people as a way to get a handle on, oh, there's, this is problematic and something can be done about it. Um, I think there's a lot of crossover and blurred lines there between, you know, love, addiction, and avoidance and codependence. And you really just have to look at how are these symptoms showing up in your own life and what do you want to do about them? Um, and so in all cases, people are, look, they have, there's fear of intimacy and fear of abandonment. I would say those are the two primary driving factors. And for a love addict on the surface, it's don't leave me. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I'm in fantasy about you. You're my perfect person. Oh, I've built this whole life for us. We're going to be partners forever. I'm in it. Right. That's the mm -hmm. whole don't leave me. But underneath it, for people who um, have traits of love addiction, there's also the fear of abandonment. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to go. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the fear of intimacy. Let me correct that. For love addicts on the surface, it's don't leave me. I need you. Don't go. But underneath it, there's also this fear of intimacy because you're living in a fantasy about this other person. You're not really seeing who they are. You're not really seeing yourself. Mm -hmm. right? So love addicts, uh, love avoidance, excuse me, with love avoidance, it's flip-flopped. On the surface, 
it appears, I don't want to get too close. I have a fear of intimacy, but underneath it, I also don't want you to leave me. So fear of intimacy, fear of abandonment, for, for, for people on that continuum of love addiction, love avoidance, they're both present, but in different degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to answer your question, yes, love addiction, love avoidance, this, this relational pattern can show up regardless of gender or sexual preference. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. For example, at Center for Healthy Sex, we do a lot of sex addiction intensives for men. And oftentimes these men, generally heterosexual, but not always, come in with sex addiction. So they're acting out a lot sexually in terms of prostitutes, pornography, double lives, um, with multiple affairs, cheating, that sort of thing. But they realize going through our program, oh, underneath it, there's this love addiction, love avoidance piece that really resonates with them. And Mm -hmm. they think, oh, that's the part I didn't even realize. Like I thought it was just all having to do with my sexual behaviors, but really there's this whole relational piece that I didn't even see. And Mm -hmm. so I I find that um, very common. And that even in, you know, when we're talking about love addiction and love avoidance, there's no denying the sexual piece and where that fits in either people are can be more compulsive around sexuality or more anorexic around their sexuality there's always that there's always that piece as well mixed in mm-hmm. usually the, the relational piece is the front and center and then the sexual behavior is secondary with you know love addiction and love avoidance i find mm-hmm. yeah it's just how it plays out um for sure exactly um so when you talked about how it doesn't matter what you call it, and I'm of course heavily paraphrasing, but it doesn't matter what you, what you call it, but it's about intimacy and connection. I totally align and relate to that, which is why, you know, on this podcast, especially last few episodes um, at the date that I'm recording this, I have stayed away from calling, um, calling it love addiction and love avoidance. You know, I'll call it an intimacy. Mm-hmm first and I'll talk about vulnerability Mm -hmm. and I'll talk about it in more general terms because um, I think people get so caught up in the categories versus the fact that Mm -hmm. I'm hiding from connecting to other people and I have difficulty being honest with myself and like being in a relationship with myself and it's affecting all these different parts of my life you know and if I can just get to the root cause which is about um like I said, intimacy, then um, I can actually move forward. Exactly. Exactly. And Mm. I often struggle with the term love addiction because people say, well, how can I be addicted to love? Love is supposed to be the ultimate healer, right? Love heals all. Uh, Love is what makes us whole and connected and fills us with vitality and purpose. Love is right? Love is all there is, essentially. So how can I be addicted to something that's supposed to be so good for me? So I do have trouble myself with that term love addiction. Mm -hmm. And I also use it as a shorthand because I think today in today's culture, and particularly in Los Angeles, there are a lot of people, if you say that phrase, love addiction, they go, okay, I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you say intimacy disorder or something more complicated or a more descriptive sentence, you know, I just use it as a shorthand, I guess, mm-hmm. to um, get people's attention. And then I, in some ways, disregard it. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Um, yeah. You know, but, but I do feel, and, and people do ask me that question all the time. You know, I don't want to identify as a love addict. I, and, and so um, why do you use that term? That would be the question. Why do you use that term love addiction? I find it sensitive. I find it... Um, well, I just reject it. It doesn't resonate with me. I don't want to identify that way. And I will say that the reason I think I, I still use it and that, you know, many women before me have used it, you know, there's been many books um, written by female authors on love addiction, is that if you look at these unhealthy relationship patterns through the model of addiction, then you can also see that there's a treatment for it. And it's not just how women are, or you're broken, or, well, this is just how relationships work. 
mm. that, or you haven't met the right person. That's a big piece. I think so many therapists and um, counselors and coaches miss that. They think, oh, you've just picked the wrong person. You just need to find the right person and then everything's going to be okay. And they completely dismiss and even miss the underlying pattern. So I think when you use an addiction model, you know, you can say, well, here's what's going on. And then here's the way to repair that. And here's the way to really heal yourself. So for many people, that makes sense and that clicks and they want to do 12 steps and they want to go to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, and they want to work that kind of program. And so for many people, that, that works. Mm-hmm. And for many people, not as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, we just have to figure out what works for us, for sure. And I find myself on this platform trying to catch everybody <laughs> because I just want to make mm-hmm. sure that people get to the other side of the healing, no matter what you call it or don't call it, that you take what you need and you leave the rest. Right. So I am in complete agreement with you, Sheena. I'm in complete agreement with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So wasn't Lisa wonderful? And so let's talk about the three things that you can do to make your life better. If you struggle with avoidant behaviors, the first thing that I want you to do is to make, I don't care your new trigger phrase. So anytime you say the words, I don't care, I want you to change the meaning to maybe being kind of um, saying that with pride, because most of the time when I see people use that phrase, I don't care, it's almost like you can't touch me, you can't hurt me, you can't get to me. Um, That's kind of the underlying meaning, or that's exactly what they mean, and they'll say those words afterwards. But that's actually a sign of you shutting down. That's actually a sign of you not being in touch with yourself, which makes it hard or difficult or impossible for other people to be in touch with you. And so anytime you say, I don't care, even though it's protective, even though it makes you feel safe, even though I'm sure it makes you feel strong, I want you to pause. I want you to take a deep breath and I want you to stop and think, okay, what do I actually feel? If you actually feel numb or neutral, I want you to be curious about, so why is it that I don't care? Usually when people use the phrase, I don't care, they're in a conversation that is emotionally charged. So maybe you or the other person um, is upset about something that happened, something that could happen, something that um, one of you may be afraid could happen, whatever it may be. And I don't care is the response to say that I am not involved. I'm not um, affected by it. And if that's the case, if you're having a um, conversation where one or both parties or multiple parties, depending on who's around, is emotionally charged and everyone's having a reaction but you, I want you to kind of think about why that is. And if any feelings about ego and pride about, well, that's because they're oversensitive and um, they're not in control of themselves and X, Y, and Z come up. I want you to be curious about that and just think, okay, maybe that's true. Maybe that is the case. Maybe you are around people who are overly sensitive um, in your, in your opinion or in your experience. And I want you to kind of think, well, is there any place that I am sensitive? Is there any place that I do show emotions? And If you cannot think of a place, I want you to maybe consider that there's something different that you can be doing. Maybe it's actually healthier that you do care in some situations versus you don't care in all situations. And if that's the case, in whatever um, circumstance that you feel most comfortable with, I want you to pause and think, okay, if I did care about what was going on, what would I feel? And see if that helps shift some things around. And once you're in touch with your emotions, then you will be able to express to other people what you need, what happened that made you feel that way, and um, how they can change it or how things can shift for you to feel safe in the future instead of you shutting down. Because what I don't care does is it pushes people away. It literally tells them that you don't care, which makes them not want to get close to you. And it may be convenient in the moment, However, um, that's a pattern that you cannot shut off. Um, that, that saying that you are uninvested in what's happening. 
and you want to have relationships, I'm assuming, which is why you're still listening to this podcast episode right now. So second thing I want you to do is I want you to notice how much time you're spending away from your relationships. And this is all your relationships, family, friends, um, um, romantic partners, um, your children, and um, use numbers. Literally look at your schedule, say, okay, I spent this much time at my desk. I spent this much, much time in the office. When I was home, I had my laptop in front of me. I was looking at my phone, I'm checking emails, which means that your body was there, but you weren't physically present. I want you to write all that down and maybe just keep track of it for a couple days. You can do it for a week if you're an overachiever, but just do it for a couple days and see how many hours of your day that you are actually present with the people around you. Okay. So category for work, category for your hobbies and activities, category for TV that you're just watching your movie. I just want you to notice, um, how, how much time do you spend having conversation with them? How much time do you spend looking them in their eyes? How much time do you spend asking them about their day and then listening to their whole response instead of cutting them off and saying that um, you're, you're over the conversation or making an excuse to leave? How often does that happen? And um, if the numbers are lower than you would want them to be or in a way that doesn't seem healthy to you, so... Basically, you spend um, out of 48 hours, you spent 40 hours or 42 hours doing something else um, and you only spent two hours with your people and that is a problem to you, which hint, it should be a problem to you. Um, I want you to think about adjusting that. Here's the thing about avoidance. We are very, very good at always finding something to do that will keep us away from being close and intimate to somebody else. There is always going to be a project. There is always going to be a trip. There's always going to be a charity event. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be a dinner that you have to prepare because no one's eaten for the whole day. And so you just, you have to do it right now. And then by the time you're done, everybody's asleep. Like there's always going to be some excuse. And so with that being the case, your perspective and your mindset has to change to where you value your relationships and time with people more. And so I want you to start to think, well, if I were to pass away tomorrow, or if this person were to pass away tomorrow, would I be happy that I sent this last email or would I be upset and would I regret it? And would I be sad? And that's kind of where we have to go because tomorrow is not promise, nor is time. Things change rapidly. And we need to enjoy and connect and be close to the people that we love while we have them. The third thing I want you to do is I want you to start practicing mindfulness, mindfulness and meditation. So avoidance, um, going, this kind of links back to the first one about the, I don't care and noticing your feelings, you know, sometimes not all the time, but I want to say maybe more often than not, we really feel like we're, we're okay. Like we really feel like we're calm about the situation. We're truly not upset. We're truly just, just chilling. And, um, it's really not that big of a deal, which maybe, maybe that's true in in the case, but what mindfulness and meditation does is it gets you grounded in your body. It gets you at a place where you can just sit and not have to have all the busyness that we do as avoidance around us to cope. You know, we're constantly doing something. There is not someone who's avoidant who does not spend time um, actively shutting off their body and distracting their attention to something else. And that's even for those of us who are introverts who isolate. Like we, we're not just sitting there looking at the wall. We are watching Netflix. We are on IG. We're, we're doing something versus being passive. And so what mindfulness and meditation does is it gets you quiet. It gets you still to where all of that frenzy and all that stuff that you're secretly running from, that you're not quite aware that you are, (laughs) um, until you stop to listen, it starts to come up. And when you do that enough and you build a practice, you start to, um, you start to feel more comfortable instead of always needing to run. When you're able to finally get five minutes through meditation, then sooner or later, you'll be able to start to get through 10 minutes. And then you'll start to be able to get through 15 minutes because the silence won't be as scary. Um, because you won't have this hammering on the back of your head, like 
you need to be doing this, that to-do to list won't be just running up and down um, your mind. You'll be able just to be in the moment. And if you can learn how to be in the moment with yourself, you'll be able to be in the moment with the people that you love and the people that you want to love um, in the future, right? Um, you won't always need to get away. And so those three things will help you start to change your life and your relationships today. So if you missed that, I want you to re-listen and write it down and put it on your wall so that you don't remember. Um, but you have to actively do, do these things. These things are not going to happen passively, passively. If you're like, I'll just remember to do this later and kind of half-ass it and pick around, you're going to continue to struggle with love avoidance. So I want you to be intentional and get started. I want to thank you for listening to this episode. It is a longer one. It's filled with so much good stuff and I hope that you are able to apply it. I want you to let me know what you think by sharing um, a screenshot on IG and tell me what was your favorite point. And you can always subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that other women can find this podcast and get supported in their healing journeys as well. So that's it for this episode. I hope you have a great week and I will see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors.